When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Lola Pops Off About Dramas with your host, Lola. Welcome back, everyone. We are back and we are finally doing the Pachinko Season 1 Final Impressions. And I have to say right off the bat, That is something that I'm excited to title this because that means that we are getting a season two of Pachinko. So that was great news to hear after it finished and it's eight episodes um, that it is a season one and that there will be more to come, which of course makes sense. If you are familiar at all with the actual book that the story is based off of, then you would know that it is 600 so pages and definitely in eight episodes they were not going to do that amount of pages or of a story justice so it made sense that they wrapped it up how they wrapped it up and then kind of let us know that season two will be in the future so that was great news I have no experience with actually the story the original source material the original book I mean the actual book I have not read it I um I'm thinking about reading it so don't get me wrong but I kind of don't want to ruin this the the drama or the, sorry the tv series um or spoil it for myself by reading the book because you know but I I feel like I would want to read the book after I watch it if that makes sense but that's usually backwards, but because I'm a TV person, I feel like <laughs> it makes sense for me. But I know that's usually not the case. Most people like to read the book first, then watch the the television series. So I I might I might do that. I'm not sure though. But because I don't have any experience with the actual um, book itself, I am not privileged, and so all I have for Pachinko is the the TV show, the TV series. That's all I have. And I kind of like that when talking about the story, I mean, the, the show, because I'm not using any prior knowledge of what the story is or what it's about or what's to come to kind of, I guess... I don't know, affect my impressions of this drama. I'm sorry, I keep calling it drama. It's not a drama, it's a TV series. Um, I keep, I don't have anything to kind of influence uh, my impressions of it, Um, be it the first ones that I gave in a previous episode or this final impressions. And it's again, just of season one, because the way that they wrapped it, it is very obvious that we will have a season two. So let's go ahead and get into my final impressions, my kind of final thoughts, what I was left with after finishing season one of Pachinko. And this just, you know, shameless plug at this point, I did do a first impressions-esque episode for Pachinko where I recapped the first three episodes of the story. And I mean, I recapped it. I gave you kind of like line by line at some point. So if you want to get 
yourself kind of familiar with what the story is about if you haven't started it yet and you're kind of interested of what it is and what it's kind of made up of you can listen to that kind of chit recap chat episode that I um, recorded a couple weeks ago that will give you kind of a good foundation of kind of what to expect for this this TV series Um, but uh, it was a fun one to do because I I liked the kind of well, I'm going to spoil it, but you know, either way, there's kind of some messiness that takes place in the first uh, couple episodes um, regarding the Sunja and Hansu character. And that kind of was like, it was kind of fun <laughs> recapping that and retelling what happened in that moment. Um, but there's so many other good things that happened in the first three episodes that it was enough. Of course, I think it's enough to encourage anyone to check out the entire series. But this episode is going to not be a recap. I'm not going to go, um, you know, episode by episode and, and scene by scene and kind of retell what happens in the drama I'm sorry, of the, the series. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to just give you some highlight reels for myself um, as someone who after finishing it, I I was left with kind of, um, I guess the memory of some very poignant and moving and meaningful moments of this this show and so I want to talk about those for me and again I'm focusing mostly on the later half or things after episode three um just because you know I really talked extensively about the first three episodes already but I am not gonna try to I'm not gonna spoil like I said scene by scene in this final impressions but I will probably kind of spoil some some plot moments and things that happen to certain characters so if you are not trying to have any spoilers then I would wait to listen to my final impressions until you finish the the show but I um, I'm gonna try my best like I said not to give any specific details um, and major well yeah major plot lines and plot moments but there will be a few (laughs) spoilers Um, but yeah so Let's go ahead and get into the final impressions. So firstly, I can just summarize my final impressions and maybe just some kind of descriptives of Pachinko, the story. Pachinko, the TV series, is insightful. Um, It's captivating. It's very, it's unpretentious, despite it being so beautiful and very kind of stylized um, in this kind of Western TV series way. It's still, it does it very unpretentiously, which I thought was impressive. Um, and it's a very powerful, powerful story. You can tell um, before it even has finished as far as the entire story that's in the book. Um, it's very powerful. And it's this drama, I'm sorry, this TV show was masterfully done. It was done. It, it was so well thought out from the beginning to the end. And this is an example of just well done, you know, just the way they, the effort and the thought that went into the, the writing, the adaptation, I'm assuming was spot on. Um, just beautiful, beautifully done. So what I want to first start with is episode four. So for me, if you are following me on other kind of platforms, I did a little quick post about episode four, uh, mentioning that it was one of the most masterful things I've seen on TV in a long time. It uh, wasn't, and it wasn't just the moments depicted in this episode that were amazing to watch, but the way they told and showed those moments were um 
they were magnificent. I don't even know how else to describe it. I think it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever watched on. I mean, I've watched on TV um, in a TV series by far. I think from beginning to end, they did that with just episode four. So, um, yeah, I think episode four is actually standalone. It could be watched by itself and and marveled at by itself. Like it is a standalone episode. But it what what was so I think wonderful about it uh, was that there was so much kind of symmetry and like parallels um, shown between what was taking place in the present and the past. Um, and if you know if you've been watching Pachinko, if you know the kind of foundation of this this TV series that they made it a point to um, tell the story in two time um, periods. So we get to see two time periods told in the same um, episode. And that's one in the past um, with a younger Sunja and then one in the present, which is an older, you know, Sunja who is a grandmother of Solomon. And we get to see Solomon's story um, and things like that. So you get to see these two stories kind of taking place at the same time in the show. And I have heard that that's not how the actual book is told, that the book kind of starts in chronological order and kind of just goes from from the past all the way up to the present. Um, And that's not the case in the drama. I'm sorry, in the show. (laughs) Please forgive me for all the times I'm going to call it a drama because that's what I do is talk about dramas. But I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, show. So forgive me there. But it is not done that way in the TV show. And I think that was the first thing that they did right and that they did um, well was that they were able to give us both of these kind of plot lines at the same time. And because they were doing this, they made it a point to show the parallels. And I'm sure that is also done in the book, but just not as, um, you know, obviously (laughs) not as obvious, I'm sure. Um, But the way that they show it and they have the platform or the medium of a television show, it was, it, it makes sense. And it, it's allowing them to tell that story, um, in a timely manner. Cause again, this was eight episodes and I just thought that was genius. So the, the, the kind of parallels that were shown in this episode four specifically, and they do this all throughout the, the TV show, but the way that they did it in episode four, it was, it was spectacular. Um, but the parallel shown between those two on um, the past and the present in episode four kind of made it, it like there was this almost intense swelling of tension um, that was kind of felt in just this one episode. It felt like a climax episode. Like this was the kind of main like crescendo of the series um, and everything felt like it was all happening at once. What was happening in the past and the present, it felt like it was happening all at once. And if you think about it, it sort of is, or it sort of was happening all at once because in both the past and the present is Sunja, our lead character, the lead character. Sunja is, you know, her, you know, she is her younger self and all of the experiences that we see of her in the past, but just in the present, you know, that's just what it is. We are our, you know, young self as much as we are our, our aging self. Um, but she also is her lineage. So like her grandson, who we also get to follow in the present, 
he is also kind of made up of her and her experiences. So when we're seeing Solomon and this breakdown that he has um, in episode four that is tied to this moment where he tells Gumja, um, who is the lady he's trying to get to sell her house for his job, um, when he tells her not to sell her house after getting her to the point to finally wanting to sell it, it was just so poignant and meaningful. Um, and it highlighted this past journey, you know, in the past with Sunja, this journey to Japan. And it was so exceptionally edited um, the way that they kind of were going back and forth, the swelling of the musing at points. There's like these scenes, there's, there's this this really uh, kind of impactful scene at the end there of episode four. And it just was crafted to a T, crafted to a T. I don't think I've seen something I, I know I've seen something like this before, but as far as like recently in my most recent memories of a TV show that I'm watching, I have not seen something so well executed because um, that's what it is. Like the story itself, like we it's the same story that started in episode one. You know, we know this story about Sunja and her son, grandson Solomon. We know Sunja and what happens to her in the past and how she gets pregnant and things. Like we know all that. That story is the same in episode four and even her kind of decision to travel to Japan. Japan and how that got to be, all of that, we knew where that was going before we got to episode four. But the way that they edited it was to a T, the way that they, the music, the way that they showed these different moments in the past and in the present simultaneously was just well done, well done. I mean, I if I could just tell you the best part of this TV show, that would be the best part, episode four. If you don't watch anything else, watch episode four. So well done. Um, But I could go on and on just about episode four. So I'm going to move on. But that was something that I feel made the biggest kind of impression on me was just this episode four for me. I've rewatched it multiple times and I can't tell you how many times I do that where I rewatch an episode of something that I'm watching on TV. Like that's not a thing I really do. I either kind of just watch the whole thing over again, you know, or just like one scene, but it's never like been just like this one episode that just stands out to me as like, this is the, this is it. This is the drama. I mean, this is the show. This is it. This is what you want to get from it. It's this one episode. That's how I felt with episode four. So that left the biggest impression on me. I'm going to be honest, beautifully done. And I can only imagine how that looks in the book. Um, But the way that it looks in that episode is just, I don't think they could have done a better, a better job, honestly. Um, But yeah, so the other thing that I want to kind of talk about really, you know, briefly and turns to season one of Pachinko is this kind of after the journey that we see in episode four of Sunja getting to Japan um, from Korea and seeing the story that starts in Japan and her, you know, with her arrival with, you know, living with Kwangi and Yosep and then Isaac or Isaac. Um, and even her giving birth to her children there, all of that was, um, it started off a little transparent. Like I said, you can kind of tell what the story is, you know, what the story is trying to say, what it's trying to portray. So when you know the story, I feel like when you feel like, okay, this is, I know what's going to happen. It is all about the way that they tell it, right? Cause sometimes the stories are like, you know, I know what's, what's going to happen, but what, 
made, you know, because what was so transparent, like, okay, you knew she was going to have this kind of difficulties um, assimilating into this Japanese culture. But you also knew that, um, you know, she was brought into Isaac's family, um, you know, which is Kwanki and Yosa after, you know, he left and comes back with like a pregnant wife. And they're like, wait a second, this doesn't match up. You never told us you were, you were to be married and with the wife, you know, and to have a child. So it's obvious that they know kind of like he's taken someone in, um, which he has. Um, and so Yosa is a little kind of hesitant about her, but I did like how Kwanki kind of immediately you know, she knew she's pregnant. You know, she kind of stepped in and was like, you know, I'm going to welcome her with open arms. I was most nervous about Kwan Ki, so I was happy that she was not rude at all to Sunja. But Joseph was a little rude to her at the beginning, and he was frustrated with Isaac um, bringing home this pregnant woman um, and saying that this is his wife. <laughs> but in that story of her kind of moving in, you know, living in Japan, where it took its turn was definitely with the Isaac character um, and his journey into using kind of his pastoral background for radicalism. Like that was new. Like I was not expecting that at all from Isaac. Um, if anything, I was always worried about Isaac and his his illness and his sickness. So I always thought something was going to happen to him in regards to that. But to know that him being a pastor leads him down a path of, you know, being a radical that I was not expecting. Um, and I thought that was well done. I thought seeing that aspect of the story in the second half of this journey for Sunja is kind of her, you know, basically following this man who was willing to take her and her unborn child in, um, to a new country that was a country that at the time obviously um, was not treating Koreans well. So the idea that she followed him to this place that was already from the beginning going to be questionable for her and her unborn child. But after following him there and then relying on him, trusting him, that was now her husband. He was going to take care of her and her child only for it to be revealed in this new you know, new part of her journey in Japan that she was actually not just finding her way in this new land. She would be doing so, um, you know, on her own. She didn't have the support system as much as we, you know, were expecting her to have with Isaac and his family. Instead, her brother-in-law is Yosef, you know, can barely keep a job. And when he finally gets the job, you know, it gets threatened because of what happens with Isaac. And then, you know, Kwanki, she's, you know, she's not working, but she's also helping Sunja where she can. And I, I like that. But she's not, you know, as, I guess, savvy and kind of streetwise as Sunja is. And she's a little kind of scary, uh, scary at times. So, you know, she doesn't really help out in all the ways that Sunja comes in and steps up and starts helping. And so... That was what I was. I wasn't expecting that, that she soon job was going to have to get over to Japan and become like the breadwinner and show people how it's done and, you know, make, you know, make moves for the family um, while Isaac was doing something on a grander scale, it still jeopardized, you know, Sunja and her kind of like immediate home and her, her children. And so I didn't think that was going to happen. I, I know Isaac's not in the future with Sunja, so I, but I didn't know how or when, when that 
happened. Um, but it's 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 apparent that, you know, by the end of the season one, that we're not sure if we're going to ever see Izak again. Um, and Sunja is making her way on her own in this foreign land um and she's a single mother at th- i mean she'll be a single mother at that and i just found that to be a little different than when i thought the story was going to go where the story was going to go in that second half and i really really enjoyed it i really really enjoyed it, it kind of took me because like i said it started off a little transparent i understood what was going to be happening and then that kind of was like oh this is what happens um so i really really did like that um that part of Sunja's story. And I believe hopefully that in season two, we get to see even more of that um, because that's where we kind of left off with Sunja in the past. So I'm really excited to see that um, kind of play out in season two. Um, So yeah, the other thing I want to mention though, and this one is the, um, the kind of controversial episode seven. And I had no problems with episode seven. And it was only until I started seeing people talk about it online that I realized that people were, were, had problems with episode seven. I, I, you know, I was hearing people say, you know, all kinds of things, but a lot of it was people being so confused and frustrated with episode seven and saying it didn't make sense for it to have existed. And it was so out of place. And, you know, it, I mean, it was just so confusing and I didn't, I don't agree <laughs> at all with episode seven. So if you, um, and again, um, these are all kind of spoilery. So if you are watching or if you watch Pachinko, you know that in episode seven, um, this is the episode right before the final episode eight. And it is an entire episode that is um, solely focused on the Kanto earthquake um in Japan and the Kanto massacre that happened to Koreans in Japan at that time after the earthquake. Um, and they used the Hansu character to kind of tell that story. And it does not necessarily align with the Hansu um, kind of backstory, but it does but if you want it to, it could, I guess. And I don't know if this is in the book at all or what, but people were so kind of like, because the whole episode is just about this moment in history and they used Hansu as the character to tell this story. A lot of people were confused if this was really Hansu's backstory that he really experienced this or if this wasn't um, his backstory and that they just kind of made it up and they couldn't, no one could really tell. And I don't know, I'm going to be honest, I couldn't tell, but either way, it didn't distract me from the backstory of Hansu, if that makes sense. You know, like if that was his backstory, that would make sense to me. If that wasn't his backstory, it still is okay because they don't go into that much detail about Hansu and this season to really make you feel like you know Hansu enough to know that's not his backstory. So I was okay. Um, but I do know, and I think this is from an interview, um, I think for the, you know, one of the creators of the show, who worked on the show said they made it a point um, to include this historic point in um, in history to they wanted to showcase this. They felt that the, to tell the the story of 
Koreans in Japan throughout this time in history, you have to bring up what happened as far as the Kanto earthquake and the Kanto massacre, um, because they feel like this is a thing that happened in history, specifically, you know, Japanese history that they kind of brush over and they pretend like never happened. And so no one really knows or gives much attention to this this time or this massacre that occurred and this kind of tragedy that was the earthquake um, in Kanto in Japan. And I feel like that makes sense because this entire show, the story itself is talking about, um, you know, Koreans who lived in Japan during this time. Um, and this was something that took place in that period. And it's still not being acknowledged as having happened to this day. So why wouldn't you use this type of platform where you actually are talking nothing exclusively about this point in history um, and about these people in this point in history? Why wouldn't you use, the, use this as an opportunity to showcase this massacre that no one seems to want to shed light on or pretend or like and everyone wants to pretend? It made sense for me that it was in this story. And again, like I said, didn't distract for me um, from Hansu, the character and what his background may or may not be. And it didn't distract from the entire series as a whole, because I guess other people were complaining that it they were frustrated because there was only one episode left and the story was obviously not finished. Um, And so they were, I guess, under the impression that we were going to get just this, you know, get this one episode. these eight episodes to get only these eight episodes for Pachinko and they know how much the story in the book actually tells. And they were like, how are you going to tell all that in eight episodes? And you're using a one episode just to focus on this, this, this story that's not a part of the main story, you know? And so I can see if people were under the impression, but I felt by that point when I saw that episode that, yeah, they could not be ending the entire show after eight episodes. If, there's 600 pages in the book <laughs> and this episode is kind of like, I don't want to say a filler episode, but it was away from the entire, you know, the main story that is Pachinko. So it felt to me like they were being purpose- purposeful with that. And it made sense to me. Um, and a lot of people were saying that, it, you know, it was senseless to do it, but I definitely feel like it was important and it was purposeful. You can tell, and they have a season two, so don't fret. There will be more to tell um, and more of the story to show. Um, and I definitely think with the time and the eight episodes that they had, I don't know again about the original source material, but I will say that the story itself from episode one to episode eight felt full, um, felt completed. And it feels like we're going to start a new a new part of her story in the future, in the season two. Like it ended that way. So there was no, you know, I didn't feel like they missed anything. I didn't feel like I was missing any uh, part of the character stories um, in these eight episodes even with using one of the episodes to tell this kind of um, historical about this historical moment in time um, in Japanese history and Korean history in a way. So I thought that was not a problem for me, but I know I was, I was seeing some things around the way people being upset about it. And I was like, I think it's, I think it made sense guys. <laughs> I think it's, I think it, I think it works, <laughs> but you know, that was just something I wanted to say. Cause I don't know if other people knew that, but yeah. 
So um, another thing that stood out to me in this kind of later half of the show was the Hannah character and her story. Hannah is the kind of childhood um, first love of uh, Solomon and she's Japanese and her mother Etsuko is her father is his father is Solomon's father's um girlfriend turned wife I believe I believe that's his wife now um so you know he at some point him and uh Hana must have had some kind of you know young love and he, of course, leaves to go to America when he's young, you know, pretty young. And we, you know, find that out in this season. And she kind of makes him feel guilty this entire time about having left her. And so much so because when he comes back and he's, you know, he's asking about her, her mother and his father don't have any idea where she is. They're actually using like help to locate her. You know, they don't know where she is, where she's been living, what she's been doing. Um, and then we find out at some point that she may have been, in, you know, involved in some kind of sex work. And, you know, that is obviously not something that her mother and, you know, her stepfather <laughs> wanted to hear um, and definitely not what Solomon wanted to hear. But when they do actually locate her in the show, um, we find out that she is actually um, dying from HIV at this point, or AIDS, and it is, wow. Um, yeah, so basically, that originally when her character was being introduced throughout the show, she was nowhere. We hadn't seen her yet. She was just on the phone. You know, these she was making these weird kind of cryptic phone calls to Solomon and kind of making him feel bad about leaving her and kind of, you know, making him feel guilty about things that went down in the past. And we just kind of never we weren't sure of what really went down. When we finally see what went down, it was as simple as he left and moved to America. Like it was as simple as that. Um, and, you know, she kind of blamed some of the stuff on his on Sunja. Um, his grandmother and you know either way the point is that it felt a little overwrought her character and story um I was a little like mm, yeah, there she's doing a lot she's doing a lot right now only for me to then feel like she was just also emotionally like charged when we finally meet her like she's angry she's upset she's dying um that it was hard not to feel for her character at that point when we finally meet her and, you know, and she's in the hospital room and they were deciding if they should even treat her because of what she had and, and people being afraid and the doctors and nurses being afraid to treat her and things like that. And so seeing all of that, I was like, okay, wow, it's hard not to, you know, feel bad for her. And then you're watching these, her final moments and it just, for me, it just took this this really touching and breathtaking turn. I felt it was so beautifully shot at this point. The moments with um, Hana in the hospital and her her mother Etsuko and being there and her moments with Sunja and all of that, it was so it was it was so lovely. And I wasn't expecting that because again, like originally when I was just hearing her character, you know, make 
you know, Solomon feel bad about leaving her. I was like, come on, girl, like calm it down, you know, and her being missing in action and her mother is spending money to find her and locate her. And she's, you know, making cryptic calls. I was like, you're doing a lot, Hannah. You're doing a lot. Like what's going on? Only for her to kind of appear. And this is her story. And this is where she's ending up. It was like, oh, man, that got me. It really got me. Um, and with all, and then, like I said, the way it was shot, these moments of her in the hospital and it's like a little small room in this little small hospital bed. There's these like extreme close-ups of her on her face, which is obviously very sickly. Um, and her, and it's, you know, these close-ups on her mother's face and how her mother gets really close to her face. And they're kind of whispering between themselves and they have these quiet voices as, you know, Hannah in her final moments, is kind of telling her mother goodbye and it's just whoa it got me and then you have Solomon who comes in and he you know he sweeps in and he tells her that he's taking her to Hawaii um, and you know it's this beautiful scene and moment of him taking her on her you know rolling hospital bed down the hospital hallways to the rooftop and her family running behind them and they're screaming like stop stop and then you know he takes her to the rooftop and he tells her she's in Hawaii and it's just it was so beautiful beautifully shot and it was so sad and it was so well done and I was just like Oh, they got me. They got me. And that's kind of episode six. You see that episode six and episode eight. And it was just, again, so well done for them to have done this with a character that we didn't really get to see and get to know that well. Um, we kind of saw her story in splashes in the eyes, you know, through the eyes of Solomon. And it was so it was a little kind of like, you know, for them to have made me feel that much with this character, despite us not having all of her story. Um, and at points in the beginning, me being slightly annoyed and frustrated with her character, for me to have this moment with her at the end, that was just so beautiful. That to me, again, was a story well told um, and a story well shot <laughs> and a story well executed because that could have easily been a little overwrought and a little kind of like drab watching that. But they still... The way they shot it just made you really care for this character in this in these final hours. And so beautifully done. Just another example of how impressive this 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 show is. It's just impressive. Like I was impressed by so much that they did. Um, And and so that brings me to the ending kind of like of the series in episode eight and how I felt like it was so well done and so set well set up for season two because the ending there we get to kind of time jump um and we get to see um we get to time jump in the past because again we're telling two stories at the same time so as much as we are telling the present where we're watching Hannah and Solomon and her passing away and all of that as much as we're working watching that we're also watching what's going on in the past with Sunja and Isaac and then her giving birth to you know her son Noah and then later on, we get a time jump in the past. And so we get to see her with Noah and her other um, other son, who we know is Solomon's father. And we, you know, we get to see this. And with that time jump, we are at the point where Isaac is locked up in jail and we end with basically um, Sunja having to 
figure out what she's going to do next. How is she going to support her her children? How is she going to take care of her children? Um, her husband is gone right now. She doesn't know when she's going to ever see him again. And the season ends. And I am so, 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 so invested in Sunja as a character um, and her story that has led her to the present Sunja that we also have met. You know, we know who she is now, but seeing how she got to that point, it's been so, so wonderful to watch. And so I cannot wait to see what else happens with her story and kind of what happens to her family. Um, And then that's, you know, that's the past. But I'm also very interested in what's going on in the present with Solomon and where his head is and even the comparison to him um, to Sunja's first son, which is Noah. And we know in this this season one that something happens to Noah. Noah is nowhere to be found in this show past the present. I mean, he's nowhere to be found in the present currently in season one. We only get to see him as a young boy, as a child in season one. But we do hear about him and we know something happened to him. And there is even a comparison between Solomon and Noah. And so I'm so intrigued to figure out what happens to Noah and what his story is. And again, this is where that the, this epic tale, I think, of this Sunja and her her legacy and her lineage, it's just so good. And like I said, it's so gripping. And there's so many different pieces and like moving pieces to the story, as in the characters. But it does all kind of have Sunja as kind of like the touch point, you know, how she is so connected to her grandson, um, even so much so like even in the present when we were watching Hana and her hospital bed as she's, you know, passing, um, even when we're in that in that kind of relationship, in that moment, we also see Sunja as a touch point for Hana. Hana blames Sunja for something in regards to, you know, what happened to her and and Solomon and kind of where her life took a, a turn for. So even seeing that, that Sunja was, she's so, her, her, her she's a person that is, is involved in affecting, in, you know, affecting all these different people. It's like, what's so fascinating to me. And so I'm just so intrigued. I'm so invested in this story already. And I cannot wait to see what happens in season two. And what, it's really what goes down with Isaac. Um, Cause again, I was, I was nervous that something was going to happen for him because of his, you know, illness. But now that he's in jail, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was not expecting that to happen with him. Um, and then her son who we see as a little boy, is just amazing. Whoever the actor is, I don't know him yet, but he is amazing. Um, and seeing, you know, what, how he is already so affected by what's happening in um, with his parents, with his father being locked away in jail, him having to be a translator in Japan, you know, for his mother during such a difficult time. So he's a young boy, you know, explaining to his mother what's happened to his father and what's going on in 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 the kind of revolutionary space that Isaac was operating in unknowingly to Sunja um, and having to kind of translate to her that information. It was just, I mean, I am so, I'm so invested in Noah already. I don't know what's going to happen to him, but I am like watching him go through what he went through 
as a young boy was already just like heartbreaking. And then also the fact of that, you know, they show because, you know, his actual father is not Isaac. His father is Hansu. And they even show a moment where Hansu kind of like is, you know, in Japan and he is keeping tabs on Sunja and his, you know, his son. And he even, you know, after Isaac is locked away. Because apparently, you know, someone told on him and I was like, I know Hansu did not do this. I know he did not. But it it, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. Um, but basically someone snitched on Isaac and that's how he got locked up. But, you know, even and so after we see, you know, little Noah on his way to school where he usually would be walked to school with his father, we see Hansu show up and kind of like, you know, basically, you know, start to talk to Noah about, you know, just giving him these words of, we don't know what they're supposed to be. Like, I don't know what he was thinking these words were going to mean to this, to little Noah, but he's basically trying to convince Noah to, to, you know, to not follow the ways of his father, Isaac, even though we know Hansu is his actual father. And so like, even seeing that interaction, I was just like, Noah's going through it already. And he is so young and so I am so invested in his little character already and I, I I really want to know what happens to him again I'm not reading the book I'm not looking at spoilers I will wait patiently for season two to air before I find out so you don't have to worry about telling me <laughs> so don't do that don't tell me what happens um but you know if I maybe I'll read the book in the meantime while I'm waiting and then just find out for myself but I'm just so invested in all these characters already and Solomon, I don't know what I'm gonna do with him. He's so back and forth for me. And I think that's what I love. It's like he's 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 an all over the place character. So he's frustrating at times as much as he kind of like surprises you. And so I really love that about Solomon. Um and I will say with Solomon's father, which is Sun Sunja's um second son, he to me is the only was one of the only characters that I feel like is a little what's the word I think a little one-dimensional for me right now I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be getting from him I don't know if he's just the father who you know wants the best for his son but in wanting the best for his son forces him to kind of assimilate and take on things that he probably doesn't need to take on or shouldn't take on I don't know I don't know but maybe we'll get more about him because if his brother Noah something really you know traumatic happened to him I wonder how that affected him and his decision on Solomon I'm very interested in that um I'm very interested in that. So, you know, they have a lot to work with with this with this the show and I think they can only do better if they started off with such a strong magical meaningful beautiful um first season. I know that there's only more goodness to come. And again, I have heard wonders about the book. I've heard people sing his praises. I know it's well loved. I know it's a, a epic tale. And so I'm just ready to watch that on the screen. <laughs> I'm ready. And I will say season one definitely did a great job with starting the epic. Um, and I am so impressed by it. It is so well done. I don't think anyone can fight anyone on this 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 show and how it was executed um yeah maybe some people don't relate to the story or connect with the story that's on them but 
you cannot fight how well done it's, it is, how well made it is, because that is what's the most impressive about this this drama right now. I'm sorry, this show right now. That is by far what's the most impressive to me. Um, and again, like I said, I enjoy the story. I think it's very important to be told. I think it's um, intriguing. I Like I said, I love like I love so much of the characters. I love the Sunja character and I love watching her story. Um, I love that it's going through this point in history that I haven't watched much on. And so it is kind of this moment of, you know, feeling like I'm I'm learning things that I hadn't really known, um, like how they did the episode seven with the Kanto earthquake and the Kanto massacre. I don't think I would have been aware of the massacre had I not watched episode seven. So I think it was a, a it was it just it's such a good, it's such a good show. It's such a good show. So I'm super, super, super impressed with this, um, with Pachinko. It is not a K-drama. So I'm trying my best not to call it a drama because it's not. Um, it is, you know, very, um, it is a combination of Korean and um, Western production. And that is obvious that shows um, and that, you know, puts it in its own kind of category and but I still think it was so wonderful to see so wonderful to watch I thought the performances were top tier I am so excited to see the these kind of like I'm I'm really excited about the um main actress actress who plays um Sunja Kim Minha she is wonderful. And so I'm so excited to see what else she she gets into and what she gets up to with this kind of start being, you know, in Pachinko. Because I feel like she hasn't done much else, really. Yeah, as she did maybe two other things and maybe a movie or two here. But I, I can't wait to see what else she gets up into because I think people are going to be knocking her door down for her to start in things in the future. So I'm super excited for her. Um, and I also just love that even hearing from some of the cast, like how they felt so connected with wanting to be in this this type of story and how they were able to even, I think it was Minha herself talking about her um, speaking with her great-grandmother and kind of her great-grandmother's experiences and how her great-grandmother didn't even want her to do this because it was going to be such a hard story to tell, she believed. And and so that was motivation for Minha to really want to do this this drama. I'm sorry, this show. And so I just thought that was that was awesome as well. Um, but anyway, I am done giving my final impressions of Pachinko. I think it is a masterpiece, a season one alone. I think episode four is a standalone episode. It can be watched with context, without context. It is magnificent. Highly recommend just episode four if you don't want to watch the whole thing. Um, but just beautifully done. If you want to see some amazing, amazing just television writing and editing and performances, this is an example of that by far. Totally, totally. Um, but yeah, so those are my quick kind of final impressions or was this quick final impressions of Pachinko season one. There will be more to come. So look forward to that. But um, in the meantime, that's it for this episode. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And whether you're listening in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening, I hope you have a great day. So everyone, it's been real. Lola's off.